From AMF Podcast Studios, I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. Today we are talking about heat illness prevention. Um, it is March the 12th. And very soon here in the Midwest, it will start getting warmer out. In fact, it's already getting warmer today. It's what, 50, 55 degrees. Um, but it's beautiful we, today. It is. I love this weather. Yeah, me too. It's perfect. Could stay right here and I'd be okay with that. Right. I agree. Um, but before we know it, summer is going to come and with it, uh, warmer temperatures. Uh, also, apparently this year, the 17-year cicada. Looking forward to that. Oh, Not Abby. At all. Abby, that is a huge event in my household. Uh, oh, that really? Is really? Yeah, it's really funny that you mentioned that. It's a big deal for us. We, we, we clock time using the cicadas. How so? Well, so my kids were born just slightly uh, before the last cicada uh, uh, hatch back 17 years ago. And I remember thinking, wow, the next time these things come out, my boys will be in college. And uh, won't that be a you know whole different world at that time? Yeah. And sure enough, that's where that's where we are. And uh, we we I mean we're not like huge bug people, but, <laughs> but we do think those are amazing. And I will also say this: I'm sorry, I'm talking too much about cicadas and not healings. But cicadas are great live bait for fly fishing. Amazing, because they're on every tree limb. You just walk over to any bush, grab one of those things. And if you don't feel guilty about killing something that spent 17 years in the dirt (laughs) just to come out, you can hook it through its hollow body and cast it. It (laughs) lands on top of the water and just flaps around. (laughs) And I swear to God, within seconds, a, a fish will land it. Or we'll hit it. So that's anyway. grotesque right. and amazing at it the same amazing. time. It is yeah. very cool. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. You were talking about heat, I believe. That's okay. Yeah. I think my point was going to be that about the time these cicadas start showing up in mid May or so is about the same time that employers that have people working outside will have to start worrying about heat illness on their job sites. Um, so, Doug, what can you tell us about OSHA? and how they enforce heat illness. Well, we may have mentioned this before, but OSHA does not have a a particular standard on heat illness. The OSHA standards are general industry, construction, maritime. There's a record keeping standard and an agriculture standard. And nowhere in any of those uh, does it say anything particular about heat illness. And so OSHA has relied on the general duty clause to uh, encourage employers to um, guard against this hazard. And we've spoken a little bit about the general duty clause before. It's, it's specifically Section 5A1 of the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970. And it's sort of a catch-all safety requirement or can be used by OSHA as a catch-all safety requirement. And what it requires is that um, every employer has to provide a place of employment for the employees that is free from recognized hazards that could uh, kill or seriously injure the employees. 
And so OSHA has recognized excessive heat as one of these hazards, as employers have, for uh, over 10 years now. But it was about 10 years that OSHA began a campaign to educate employers and to um, strongly encourage um, employers to take care of their employees from uh, from the hazards of, of heat illness. So this has been going on for about a decade now. And as I said, it's um, it's all under this the general duty clause. So if I'm an employer, where do I go to find out what OSHA wants us to do? There is no lack of information that employers can find on heat illness. In fact, there's just you will drown in a sea of information. And, and that could be because there's really no specific standard um, that OSHA can direct you to. So you're just sort of going to wade through a, an awful lot of data. But the best thing to do is just to go to OSHA.gov and search for um, heat illness or heat stress, and you will find a ton of information. And, and here's the thing. Most of this information is based on the um, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health guidance. So OSHA has not issued a specific standard, which I've said, I think, 17 times now. But uh, the National Institutes uh, or National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health has issued or has um, published guidance on what employers are supposed to do um, to keep employees um, safe from the heat. And so what what the uh, NIOSH tells you is they they have a whole series of steps that employers um, need to follow or should follow. And OSHA wants to see you as an employer following these um, steps or, or doing these things that NIOSH tells you to do. And if you don't do these things, then you're going to be cited under uh, the general duty clause. And the, the first thing that you need to pay attention to is the heat index. And if you watch the local news, your local weather person is likely going to tell you what the real temperature is, and then they'll talk to you about the uh, the heat index. Are you, you know what I'm talking about, Abby? Yeah, yeah, it's temperature plus humidity, right? Yep, exactly. So they'll tell you, plus, they'll say- But it's like a factor of temperature and humidity. Correct. So they'll say, hey, you know, the temperature outside is uh, 90 degrees, but the, and the humidity is 50%, and therefore it actually feels like it's 95 degrees or, or something of that, uh, of that nature. And so if you look at the heat index and you can just, that's, you're going to find that easily on the, on the internet. But if you look at that, it'll tell you what temperatures are in the caution or extreme caution or the danger or the extreme danger zone. And depending on where the heat index temperature tells you you are, then the employers are going to need to take certain steps to um, take care of the employees. And so let, I'll just go, you want me to go through the NIOSH criteria real quick or the- I the do, but I, I want to mention, and I hope I'm not stepping on your toes here. I want to mention that OSHA has an app called the Heat Index. It's just called Heat Index. Um, but you um, can enter your location and it'll tell you the temperature, current temperature, the humidity, 
and what risk level you're in for um, excessive heat exposure. So Dayton, Ohio, we are uh, at 52 degrees Fahrenheit, 48% humidity, and we have a minimal risk of heat illness naturally. Um, but yeah, if you, if you happen to miss the news one morning on your way to work and you want to know what you're supposed to be doing, that's a good, um, I think a good tool to use out in the field. I, I just opened the app on my phone. And by the way, you have iOS, right? You've got uh, an Apple phone. I've got an Apple. Or, yep. Uh, otherwise known as an iPhone. iPhone. <laughs> um, I have the jitterbug. Okay. <laughs> I don't. That's just a joke. But um, I have an Android. And so you can get the app on either Android or an iPhone. And I love this thing because it, it, it will... It will follow you around. When the app is open, it 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 knows where you are, and then it um, pulls in the weather data. So it doesn't actually record or measure anything from your pocket. But the coolest thing about this is it will tell you what you need to do, um, depending on whether you're the minimal, low, moderate, high risk, or extreme risk. So I'm glad you brought that up, Abby, because this this the app is excellent, and it will help you as an employer know when you need to get out of the heat or how, how much time you need to um, uh, stay out of, out of the heat. And that's one of the things that OSHA tells you or that NIOSH tells you to do and that OSHA wants to see. And that is that as an employer, depending on how hot it is, you need to develop a work rest regimen, which would call for working outside for a certain number of minutes and then taking a rest, trying to get into, into the shade. If you can get into an air conditioned area, that's great, but that's usually not, or often not an option. NIOSH also tells you that you need to provide cool water and you need to encourage employees to drink. Um, I think it's like, it's like five to seven ounces every 15 to 20 minutes or, or something like that. Um, you also, as an employer, need to slowly acclimatize your employees to the heat. And what I, I read recently is that more than half of heat illness uh, cases occur shortly after somebody has just started working in the heat. And it's true that the longer you work in the heat, then the um, more used to it you become and the less susceptible you are for heat illness. So you need to be very careful to slowly introduce somebody to the heat. Don't just throw somebody on the first day up on top of a roof, uh, you know, when it's 85 or 95 degrees and it's sunny up there because they would be really susceptible to um, the heat illness up there. And then uh, NIOSH also tells employers to make sure that you uh, provide training to your employees about the effects of heat stress, what the symptoms are of, of heat stress, and then probably most importantly, how to, um, how to prevent it. Now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, or I wanted you to talk to us about, I should say, Abby, is how um, OSHA has been enforcing this with regard to employers and whether or not they recognize the hazard. And, and what I'm getting at is not all employees are created equal, and some people are more susceptible to heat illness than not. And, and I, I was hoping, Abby, that you would talk to us a little bit about the Virgil case, which is a huge case for heat illness. Yeah. So I did work on that case. Um, so that, that litigation um, 
began in 2013, which would have been just a couple years after OSHA started its heat illness prevention campaign. That was back in 2011. So here we have the Sturgill case in 2013. And it's significant. It gets a lot of attention because it's the first case that involved a general duty clause citation uh, for heat illness in the traditional construction context. So before that, um, the heat illness cases had involved, like there was a United States Postal Service worker who died of of heat stroke. Um, There was a case against an archaeology firm but you know, none of them involved um, circumstances like you would be likely to find on your traditional construction site. So Sturgill, uh, age Sturgill, commercial roofer, um, they're, uh, they had a job uh, with a temporary employee who uh, had just started working for them. Um, unbeknownst to Sturgill, he was um, the kind of employee that you were just talking about, Doug. He um, was in terrible health. Um, he had a whole bunch of stuff wrong with him. I mean, he, he was just a mess. Um, in any event, this uh, gentleman was um, 60 years old or thereabouts. Uh, and so this job was a tear-off job on a commercial roof. His particular job um, was to just toss the torn off materials over the side into the dumpster. Uh, so it's he's got kind of one of the easier jobs on the site. So he starts work at 630 in the morning uh, and at 1140, he collapses. They take him to the hospital. He dies approximately three weeks later. And just to tell you a little bit about the job site, they did have water coolers. They did have shaded rest areas. They had picnic tables down on the ground that were, you know, under the trees and whatnot. They had some shade on the roof by virtue of trees and other things. And then there was also some cloud cover. But the the biggest point was it just wasn't that hot on the day he collapsed. So there's a couple different ways to measure temperature. um, But regardless of which method you used to measure temperature, Um, the highest temperature did not exceed the caution or that bright yellow section of the heat index. So you're probably asking at this point, why did OSHA focus on heat illness under those circumstances? Why did OSHA focus on (laughs) heat illness under those circumstances? Why I can tell you. The guy was diagnosed in the hospital with hyperthermia and a cause of his death was listed as heat stroke. Um, And, you know, with with certain OSHA folks, I don't want to generalize, but certain individuals um, tend to think that if somebody died, there must have been a hazard that the employer created or exposed their employees to. So uh, OSHA comes out looking for um, signs of, you know, excessive heat exposure because now we have somebody who's died of a heat stroke. So OSHA ends up issuing the general duty clause citation Um, for exposing employees to what they deemed excessive heat. And then also a citation, a training citation for failure to train employees in hazard recognition and avoidance. So those were the two citations. Um, That went to trial before an ALJ, Sturgill lost, ALJ affirmed both of those citations. So uh, what we argued was, first of all, OSHA can't use the general duty clause instead of rulemaking. I mean, here we are, we've got this, this, you know, all this guidance on, um, you know, what OSHA wants employers to be doing, 
but really no notice to employers. They wanted employers to this Sturgill to take pretty specific steps to have protected this gentleman from heat illness. And there is just no notice to the employer, A, that there was even a hazard under these conditions, or B, of the steps that it was supposed to be taking under those conditions. Um, and then the second, I want to say, I'm, I'm really generalizing this, but the second argument we were making was it just wasn't hot. <laughs> and there's a lot of science that went into that, but it, it just was not that hot out. Um, so the review commission agreed. They vacated both citations. And in so doing, they basically said, okay, OSHA, first of all, you did not prove that a hazard existed. Um, but secondly, they admonished OSHA. This was kind of in a footnote, but it's a very important footnote because they said, look, OSHA, California OSHA has had a, a heat on a standard since 2006. And the general duty clause was initially intended as a stopgap. And we expect that once you identify a hazard, that you would engage in some kind of rulemaking to make sure that hazard was addressed by a standard. But you're using it as a gotcha or like a catch-all anytime there's an accident on a job site. And that's not what this was intended for. So, um, you know, I think the takeaway from that case is, yes, OSHA can still cite uh, employers for heat illness and heat uh, exposure to excessive heat under the general duty clause but it's more difficult and they, they can't base that citation on, um, you know, health issues or age or something specific to one individual that an employer wouldn't necessarily have notice of. Is, is that because they wouldn't recognize the hazard, which is what I was saying earlier? Right. So is OSHA, OSHA is still issuing citations under the general duty clause for heat illness, right? They are. Okay but maybe they're just being a little bit more careful about it. Right. I mean, I, I think if you have these same facts, but it's blazing hot out, you have a completely different outcome for this on this case. Right. Um, it, it, but the issue is OSHA hasn't defined at what point the hazard begins to exist. At what point is there a significant uh, risk of harm posed by heat? And the other issue playing into this is that the risk of harm is going to be different for each individual employee, depending on what they're, you know, what kind of health they're in, how old they are. So I think the best thing employers can do is just take the basic steps that you just talked about um, to show that they are considering um, employee safety when there's hazard of excessive heat. And, you know, if one, if that's not sufficient to protect one particular employee, because that employee has underlying health conditions or whatever, um, under Sturgill, that employer shouldn't be cited. I'll tell you that, or I'll bet that the, uh, the use of uh, masks, or as one attorney admonished me for not saying face coverings is going to make this a little bit more complicated because if you're wearing a mask and you're working out in the heat or working inside somewhere and it's really hot, wearing a mask because you don't want to um, get infected with COVID or infect your coworkers, it, that makes it a little bit more difficult to breathe and that could potentially lead to uh, an increased risk for um, for heat illness. Um, I, I, I would imagine that OSHA would probably advise you to 
um, to use the masks during the acclimatization process. And, uh, and also, I, I know that it's okay to take the masks off, especially if you are um, or in situations where you're not within six feet of each other. I mean, you've come across that before, right? Where people are working on job sites and they're saying, hey, it's really difficult for us to have the mask on under certain conditions. I would imagine that heat would be one of those conditions. Yeah. Right? I, yeah, absolutely. Okay. It is. I don't know how much you were outside this summer with a mask on, but we were for, you know, sports and stuff like that. And it's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Just, just gotta not even sure. if you're not even exerting yourself, it's uncomfortable. Right. You got to make sure you drink a lot of water and get away from everybody else and take it off right. to breathe. Yeah. Okay. So um, anything else that we should say about heat illness, at least at, at this point? I think you covered it. I think you covered it. I think we covered it. I think Teamwork we makes it. the dream work, right? <laughs> <laughs> it does. No, but this was a good, uh, good idea. Uh, it is going to start to get uh, really warm over the next uh, several weeks and whether employees are inside or outside. And even if it's um, not a sunny day, it can still be uh, really hot outside and employers need to be increasingly careful about, about this. And of course, this is not to be outdone by cold stress, which is also another thing that OSHA is concerned about. So, and they also use uh, the general duty clause for that as well. So maybe in October, we'll talk about cold stress. How's that? We have that to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Okay. So uh, remember everybody, if you've got questions or concerns about any of this, um, Please make sure that you speak to a health and safety professional, seek guidance from uh, the OSHA website, go to the NIOSH uh, criteria. Uh, and of course, um, if you have legal questions, you wanna make sure that you're speaking to uh, your attorney, because as we've said many times before, uh, we are attorneys. But we're not your attorneys, at least not while we're on this podcast. True enough. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all for listening and stay safe.